folks and thanks for joining us welcome to the mma sucker podcast my name is tim wheaton and i joined as always by the editor at mma sucker fraser crone fraser how are you doing today sir yeah good mate thank you just talking off air it's a big weekend that's just just happened and a slightly quieter weekend this weekend so uh, i think we'll jump into quite a big breakdown of uh, what what went down at ufc 270 oh man it was an absolutely electric card it was a ufc heavyweight title fight which we've had some some boring ones in the past UFC heavyweight title fights in a full five round affair could be a little bit boring. This was a great fight. This had a story from start to finish. This was one man rallying back, changing game plans, doing stuff that we had never seen before. They're going two and two going into the fifth round, but it also made us look like absolute fools. The last thing we said on air last week was tune in next week to find out why we were wrong. And I said, Francis isn't a wrestler. He might be a wrestler in the gym, but he's not a wrestler. We haven't seen him do this. We've never seen him in the cage do it. Well, we did. <laughs> and he won the fight because of it. How'd you feel about the fight? What did you think of Francis Ngannou, the reigning champion? Tell me everything. What did you feel? Yeah, like, like you know, I think, I wouldn't say we showed Francis any disrespect because, you know, it's heavyweight champion of the world. You, you, you can't really show him disrespect because he's got that equalizer of the power, but he didn't need to use it because he... he he adapted his game. You know, we saw as soon as he walked out, he had the knee straps on, which mm-hmm. alluded to the injury. And I think, to be honest, the injury is the worst thing that happened. The injury to Francis Ngannou is the worst thing that happened to Cyril Gann because Francis had to adapt his game. He couldn't throw these big power kicks with his legs by the looks of it. You know, you don't know how quite how injured his, his knees were, but he couldn't, you know, maybe put full power into these strikes which maybe led him to the wrestling. You know, he looked good in the clinch. He, he, you know, he didn't take too much damage. He was sort of almost resting in the clinch when he needed to. He was covering mm-hmm. the hips. He was covering the opposite hip. He was, you know, digging for underhooks. So, you know, and we saw it against Stipe Miocic last, you know, in his, in his the, the fight where he won the belt. He mm-hmm. defended that takedown. He shot his hips out and he got low. And everyone would say, oh, this is the new Francis Ngannou. You can't defend one takedown and suddenly claim yourself to be a wrestler. In this fight, he defended two out of three takedowns of Cyril Gann. And, you know, we saw Cyril Gann wasn't, isn't, isn't the wrestler. He's a, he's a Muay Thai fighter. And yes. at the end of the day, I think, you know, like, like you say, Francis adapted his game. He, he wasn't able to land quite as heavy on, uh, on Gann as, as he, he thought he may be able to. You know, we mm-hmm. barely saw him throw any, any kicks, really. You know, it was... It was it was a boxing heavy approach as it always is with Ngannou, but the takedowns, you know, they, they weren't poor takedowns either. You know, the first takedown was, you could argue there's an element of luck to it where Garn throws a kick and Ngannou catches it, slams him, mm-hmm. you know, these things happen, you know, it's MMA. It's not, it's not Muay Thai. It's not kickboxing. You know, you, you, that happens. You have to be a little bit more aware of the range that you throw in a kick. Garn threw that kick when he was far too close to Ngannou. So he almost tried to land with the knee bent. So Gangani could pummel under, catch the leg and, sl- and slam him. Yeah. And then from there on out, it was it was clear for Ngannou that he was a superior guy on the floor. He, you know, he was a he was a much bigger guy in the fight anyway. You know, that was alluded yeah. to on the commentaries. Although they were only about what was it, about 10 pounds, 15 pounds difference on the scales, Ngani clearly blew up overnight. And he was just using that superior size to to weigh in on on Cyril Gann, and you know, he was a superior guy on the floor. So why not go back to that? You know, some of the takedowns that he was he was landing would they weren't 
boxer takedowns you know they they were takedowns from a guy who has drilled these takedowns they, they, these weren't just uh you know I'm, I'm losing the fight so i'm going to desperately shoot for a takedown they were good technical takedowns a lot of them he's never going to be daniel cormier no but against Cyril organ it works and i thought it was a really good strategy for for Ngane. i agree if you were to write a game plan of how we're beating uh Cyril Gane, it would have been let's wrestle him up let's take him down and try to control from top position and francis and ganu very impressive that he's only been in the sport for eight years now, because even when he entered the UFC, his hands and feet weren't that good. He was just very powerful, but he used to walk forward and put his feet together. He used to walk back and put his feet together. So he had to learn that in the Stipe fight. He had to learn what cage control and cage cutting was. And then in this fight, he showed that he learned wrestling. He's had for how long he's been in the sport. He's been very good, but we can see in this fight as well, where sometimes we talk about positional awareness. And it sounds like we are talking about nothing. And it sounds like a made up thing, especially if you watch a lot of MMA, because I'm talking about how guys will take you down, take position, move to the next position. Yes, that's what you're supposed to do. But you can see in this fight with Francis Ngannou of like, when you don't quite know how to do that, this is kind of what it looks like. You end up scrambling quite a bit. You end up getting takedowns that maybe get reversed. Um, but yeah, good for Francis Ngannou. He, he showed how to wrestle. Now, I will say that you were right in every sense of the word in that Francis Ngannou won't outstrike him. Cyril Ghosn is the better striker. We saw that for two rounds. We saw everything that you said. Don't back up in straight lines. And the, uh, uh, the, the other one here. The defensive work and anticipation. Everything was working. The clinch, I'm not sure that it was working because I think Francis was so much stronger in the clinch. And I, Cyril Gone, I think, tried it for like twice and he was like, oh my God, this guy is so strong. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, he was trying to, I think Tim's alluding to the article that I wrote on Cyril Gone, yeah. sort of keys to victory, the defensive sort of side of things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, <clears throat> we did see him initiate the clinch, initiate, you know, the first sort of, what was it, about 30 seconds into the fight, he sort of shot for the takedown. No real conviction and was able to yeah. sort of pummel up then and get into the clinch. Now, like we said, I think that was probably the, the game plan going into it of, you know, getting Garnu into the clinch, big muscly guy, get his arms blown out, get him tired. But Garnu had kind of almost learned how to, to, to rest and relax in the clinch. And that, mm-hmm. that wasn't what I think, to be honest, I think it probably had a more detrimental effect on Ghana than it did in Ghana. That's why, he, like you say, he tried it once or twice and, yep. and then just abandoned that game plan because it wasn't, it wasn't working. You know, it was, it was seemed to be that Ghana was working a lot harder in the clinch than Ghana, you know, and Ghana mm-hmm. back up against the fence, Ghana pummeling into him, not really landing any, any strikes and not really being under threat of, of you know, being, being landed on for Ngannou. And like you say, the size just, I think, was the, the equaliser. And, you know, when you've got to sit, that's the only thing with the heavyweights is you can you can weigh 207 pounds or you can weigh 266 pounds on the scale. You're in the same weight class. Yeah, that's... And and with these guys, Garn didn't look any bigger than he did when he was on the scale. You know, he didn't look drawn. You know, we see pictures of Deverson Figueredo. He's, you know, he's sunken. The eyes are sunken. He's had to cut a lot of weight to get down to, to the 125. Garn looked the mm-hmm. exact same on Friday as he did when he walked in the cage on Saturday. That's Obviously, he's going to rehydrate ever so slightly, but it's not. These guys aren't cutting any weight. They they train in and around the same same weight as they're going to be on fight night. Whereas, like we say, within Garn, he he he, it was clear for all to see that he'd put on some size. You know, when they faced off on Friday at the the ceremonial weigh-ins, mm-hmm. they weren't a similar size, and Garn was always the bigger man, but. 
when they when they sort of you know you could tell if against a clinch they're the same height but Ngannou just looked bigger he looked broader he looked wider and he, clearly you know he was <clears throat> he was stronger than Garn in the clinch which is you know it's, I, it surprised me to be honest because I did I, I honestly thought that Garn's you know that's kind of why I wrote the article it's keys to victory were to get Ngannou to swing big duck under and get the clinch, drive it to the drive it to the fence, and then tie, you know we've seen Ngannou tire, and he was tired in this one, but but so is Cyril Gunn. You know Cyril Gunn's not used to wrestling that much, and uh, you know it did the, the fight did remind me a little bit of Colby Covington versus Kamara Usman. One, these guys are both wrestlers who had a kickboxing fight, and now mm-hmm. in in this fight, UFC two seventy, it was two strikers that had a, essentially a wrestling match for for three and a half four rounds. So it's a uh, you know, it's not high level wrestling by any by any stretch, but it's it's it was you know it got the job done and it was good enough to to have uh, Francis get his uh, arm raised, and at the end of the day, that's what counts. You know, you remember the worst striker <clears throat> into a wrestling match, and I I love telling this story because I think it's hilarious. Like, do you remember Michael Venom Page versus versus uh, Paul Daly? Ah! Paul Daly, that was the one in like <laughs> Oklahoma. And they had a show in London the week before. And these two guys decide to wrestle. The, we're battling for London. Who's the best striker in London? We'll just like white belt wrestle for a little bit. It sucked, Bellator. That was yeah, the worst. <laughs> that was, yeah. Because, right, you know, it was, there's babbler between the two. They tried to get at each other before and after the, uh, before and after the fight. And, uh, you know, constantly going at each other online and uh, in person. You know, I'm, I'm I'm the power hitter, yeah, but you're not going to be able to catch me because I'm in and out and awful takedowns, and I'll lie on you for five rounds. It was, it was I, from what I believe, was that in the the first round of the welterweight tournament as well? So it yeah, got that whole tournament off to a little bit of a damp, damp, uh, damp beginning to say the least. But um, luckily, you know, I think that even you know, Ngannou and Garn, <laughs> yeah, it was way better, <laughs> was way better, and like you say, it's. <laughs> It's difficult now for Cyril Gann because, you know, how much time does he want to take off? He's not the youngest guy. And obviously it's slightly different. They're heavyweights. They can fight to a little bit later. But mm-hmm. we saw him tire. We saw him, that in and out footwork and the movement, he was he was flat-footed by, by round three, which is something that we haven't seen in Cyril Gann. You know, even deep into late late round four, late round five against... Uh, Roy's and Stroik and against uh, Volkov, he was he, Volkov, was, yeah. he was, you know, the in and out movement was still there. He, he tired in this one because of the wrestling. Now, if you put him up against Curtis Blades, Curtis Blades is going to try and wrestle you. Yep. And that might be a long night for Cyril Gunn. You know, he, he didn't look good off his back. He got, he looked ever so slightly lost. Whether that's because of the sheer size and power of Ngarni and physically not being able to do anything, it's a, you know, that is a, definitely a factor. But Curtis Blades is a better top wrestler than Ngannou. Yes, he hasn't got the size Ngannou's got, but you can imagine that he's going to have the the superior control to what Ngannou can do. You know, he knows how to manipulate his body to to stop his opponent. And you know, I've got a piece coming out later today uh, about the sort of main talking points of UFC 270, and it's what's next for each man. And you know, you, you're looking at your John Jones. It's a tough fight for Cyril Gann. Steve Miocic can wrestle. That's a tough fight for Cyril Gunn. And Curtis Blades, you know, these are the top guys in the division. Curtis mm-hmm. Blades is an awful fight for Cyril Gunn, as, <laughs> as it stands. And, 
you know, he's got to take a little bit of time off, obviously, to to work on that takedown defence. You know, if you're getting taken down by Francis Ngannou, Curtis Blaze is going to be able to take you down. John Jones is going to be able to take you down. Steve Miocic is going to be able to take you down. So uh, mm. there's a lot to work on for Gan. But at the end of the day, he's only been a professional since 2018. He's his 11th fight this one uh, on Saturday. So like like Ngannou, I think he's going to he's going to bounce back from this lot. You know. He, Ngannou got the, the bad loss against Stipe. We won't talk about the Derek Lewis fight, but then since then he's been on a tear and he's undefeated since then. I think Ghana will probably do the same thing. I wouldn't be surprised to see if Francis stays in the UFC, these two to, to face off again, not next, but certainly in the future. We'll talk about that in just a sec, but I think Francis did answer a lot of criticisms about wrestling and cardio. We thought there's no way he's, pa- he's winning past the, the second round. Well, he was fine. He got outstruck, but he was fine. Was he able to wrestle? Yeah, he was able to control. He was able to follow a game plan. He was able to show patience in, in this fight. Gone, I think he needs, honestly, if you need to drill takedown defense, go to AKA for a little bit. Go to an ATT, like do the wall walk at ATT. But you're at the current gym, they are great coaches and they've they've developed the two top heavyweights in like five years. They're clearly great coaches. But you, if you're doing wrestling training, you got to do it in the US. It just is the rule or even Russia, but you can't do it in Europe. That is just the fact. You know what I mean? And I hate to say it, but it is just the way it is. Um, do you, I think Francis Ngannou, there have been other fighters who lost their first title chance and then came back. Francis Ngannou was an example. Georges Saint-Pierre is an example of that. He has a great opportunity to develop. And this was a great losing situation where he didn't get knocked out in 30 seconds. I was talking to one of my friends back in Canada, but he didn't get knocked out in 30 seconds. He got drilled and taken down over three rounds. That shows you exactly where your flaws are. And now you have the opportunity to get better. And he's still young. He's still developing, especially for a heavyweight. He's a baby for a heavyweight, right? So he gets years to develop knowing exactly what his issue is. But yeah, like you said, Curtis Blades, Stephen Miocic, John Jones, they all take him down. And I want to see him really work into his strengths, which is striking. But if he becomes a, a sprawl and brawl, he'll be unstoppable, right? He would be able to take all these guys down. One more thing I want to throw at you, and then we'll talk a little bit about contract negotiations. But the reason that in the most recent UFC years, going back through five years, we haven't seen a lot of the arm bars. We haven't seen any ankle locks because of you lose the position when you go for it. So for example, if you go for an arm bar and you don't get it, you're so far out of position that you're probably going to get murdered now. <laughs> if you go for a knee bar, you're so far out of position, you're in trouble. Whereas a rear naked choke, if you go for a rear naked choke and you don't get it, you're, you didn't lose a position. You're still in a good dominant position. That's a good position. Arm triangle. You're still pretty well in a good position there. There's some very high risk submissions and an ankle lock in the fifth round of heavyweight title fight where it's two and two. This is the, you lost the position because you didn't finish it. It's such a high risk. It's a high risk, high reward, but it's a high risk scenario. Whereas like, that's why a lot of fighters don't go for it. It's just, this guy probably knows how to defend an arm bar or an ankle lock. So they don't do it. I threw a lot at you there, Fraser. What do you think? Yeah, no, for sure. I think it was a bit of a Hail Mary's kind of, we're going to, the rest of this fight is going to be on the ground. It's not, you know, I'm not going to be able to stand up and just swing with everything I've got. You know, obviously Cyril Gann has got that heel hook finish in his second UFC fight, but that's not completely different circumstances. You know, he was dominating that fight and uh, Dante Mark, I think it's Dante Mays, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. isn't at the level that Francis Ngannou is. At no point, you know, did Francis Ngannou look even remotely concerned with the, the heel hook attempt. These guys have been wrestling now for best part of 15 minutes. You know, they've been 
having a little bit of a stand-up battle for, for 10 minutes. They're slippy, they're, they're sweaty. And at the end, it, you know, also it comes back to sometimes, you know, we, we've all seen Derek Lewis's um, jiu-jitsu game is, is just stand-up. And we've seen, we've seen the multiple clips of Derek Lewis when he's in a bad position, he just, he just, he just stands up with his opponent, you know, trying to hang off him at any point. And I, I generally believe Francis Ngani did think that he could just push Cyril Gann away. You know, if he gets his his foot on, on Gann's backside, he, he can just push him away. Gann didn't have the the grip there to to really quite sort of, you know, talk on the ankle, talk on the, the heel to get the tap on Ngani. Now, you could argue that he'd maybe realised that Ngani had, you know, the, the knee was injured or slightly chewed up so so he didn't maybe need to put everything into that you know if he was was going for a knee bar if he was going for a heel hook and get, could get the knee in an awkward position it might it might lead to a you know Ngannou just being uncomfortable and tapping but it was a sort of last last ditch effort by Cyril Gann and you know like you say you don't want to go for an arm bar because you'll end up on bottom if you go for a guillotine what's the worst that can happen you can you know you you would you know a lot of guillotines come from when your opponent is pummeling into you trying to take you down so mm. you, you you threaten the guillotine the worst that can happen is you get taken down the best that can happen as we saw in the Saeed Nurmagomedov fight that you, you you snatch the guillotine up and and you, you finish the fight mm. the heel hook is is it's a 50-50 position you know it's the Ryan Hall 50-50 heel hook sort of position is you don't lose any position, but you don't gain any position. You're pretty much just lying with a leg entanglement on the floor in the middle of the octagon. You know, if he'd done that against the cage, it only gives Nganu one way out. You know, he can't obviously roll into the cage to try and get out of it. In the middle of the octagon, he can go forwards, backwards, left, right. You know, he, he's got a lot more space to work with. Whereas if you sort of trapped him up against the cage, it's, you know... If he if Cyril, if that was in Cyril Gann's game plan, which I can almost guarantee that it wasn't, mm-hmm. it should have been done, you know, up against the cage because then that that limits the 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 get outs for for uh, for Francis Ngannou. But like I say, he was yeah. never he was never really in danger. You know, he's just sort of thrown up a hail mary submission, very Anderson Silva, Charleston esque, but without the. Uh, Without the outcome that Silver was able to to achieve in that one, so uh, you know maybe like like we say he, he's got a heel hook submission in the UFC that we don't. I'm not sure if we've outside of Frank Mir. I'm not sure if we've ever seen it in the heavyweight division, but maybe you know. So <laughs> like we say, I think it was just a, a hail mary. I'm I'm I've lost this fight. I know I've lost this fight because I've been taken down four times and largely dominated for the past three rounds. The first rounds were close, but they're probably my rounds. I'm, I'm going to go for this submission. It's, it's, it's a bit all or nothing, but it clearly didn't pay off for, for Ngani. Yeah, it was a weird tactical choice. <laughs> but yeah, this is why you, you can't go for a lot of submissions because you'll lose the position. It's it's This is why a lot of fighters don't do it anymore. I don't remember. Yeah, ankle lock. Like Frank Mir was the last guy in the heavyweight division. Uh, Ryan Hall does one every once in a while, but even then, this guy had to like he 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 teaches other black belts how to do ankle locks. Is the level that this that is Ryan Hall is doing these things right? He has video essays on the 50-50. This is the level that he's accomplishing. That if you're not at that level, don't try it. And then, um, 
Just on Let's that, go to you know, Sorry. Yeah? You, you see, the thing with Ryan Hall is that he sets it up <laughs> when he fought BJ Penn. Oh. Shooting the lower leg kick, shooting the lower leg kick. And as he shot a clear, like, you know, he was he was jab, lower leg, jab, lower leg. And then he shot a, an empty sort of naked lower leg kick. BJ Penn lifted his foot up, but as soon as Penn's heel touched the floor, Ryan Hall was already rolling for it. So he was setting that up, knowing that, you know, if if my opponent lifts his leg almost goes to check it, I won't get it. So I need my opponent to lift it. I need guarantee that my opponent's foot's going to be on the floor. So shoot the leg kick, shoot the leg kick. Watch, watch him shoot the leg kick when he checks it. And then as soon as he comes down, I'm in on the ankle. Exactly what we saw against um, against BJ Penn from Ryan Hall is, you mm-hmm. know, up, down, and almost clamped onto it. Whereas with Garn, it was, and Garn is trying to get away, trying to, in, you know, advance position, and I'm just going to go for it because it's it's there, but it's not really there. It's, do you know what I mean? It's, it's a difficult one, but it wasn't set up at all like Ryan Hall sets up. And like you say, this guy teaches of the black belt this is his move it's like the <laughs> marcelo garcia guillotine you know it's it's his move so you can't just throw out a, a random sort of leg lock heel hook and, and assume that it's going to land because it's, it's unfortunately for Garn, it just didn't and, and with ryan hall if he didn't get that ankle lock he got the takedown he get he gained a position out of it, or at least he got a scramble, which he's quite confident in. Cyril Gone was like in half guard. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> That's a great position to be in. Just stay in that position and advance to the next one. Falling for an ankle lock is not tactically the best part. But let's move on to contract negotiations. Do we see a rematch between these two? At this point, Francis Ngannou has no shame in that he's beaten most of the top 10 at this point in his career. He's had a very good run in the last little while here. I would love to see a trilogy. However, the UFC, I've been kind of quiet on contract negotiations because I always, I don't feel like I know enough. However, the UFC made it abundantly clear whose fault it was and which party was being was messing around and being disrespectful on Saturday night. Dana White refused to put the belt on and refused to show up at the post-fight press conference. They didn't tweet about this very much. They weren't promoting it very much. Dana White shows his hands so so and makes it abundantly clear who's at fault. He shows that he's soft, he's sensitive, he's petty. This was a real coward move on Dana White's part. If I was contract negotiations and I simply didn't show up, I've lost that deal. That's it. And you and I relate, the relationship that you and I have is not all that different in that the better you do, the better I do, the better I do, the better you do. We kind of work symbiotically like that. If I publicly went out and disrespected you, we're not going to work together anymore. (laughs) What a BS thing to do. What an absolute coward move to do this. And the UFC, I don't think Francis Ngannou thinks that he has a lot of leveraging power. The UFC is happy to walk away from these guys and they've done it in the past. Randy Couture was a double champion and they let him go. BJ Penn was a double champion and they let him go. Guys who was fighter of the decade, Frank Shamrock. No problem. Go ahead. You can go fight elsewhere. We don't care. Tito Ortiz, they struggled with. Tyron Woodley, they recently struggled with. They are happy to let guys go. They actually don't care. If you have a good negotiating hand, they're they're happy to see you walk. Keep in mind that they couldn't even get to a deal with the biggest star in the sport, Conor McGregor, for two, for one and a half years. They couldn't come to the table. I think this is it for Francis Ngannou for at least a couple of years. I don't know if he goes gets beat up by Tyson Fury. He will make more money than his entire UFC career if he goes and gets beat up. Uh, I don't know if he gets, if he wins a Bellator title, a PFL title, a WWE title, a one championship title. One champion, uh, uh, Arjan Buller, whose his team is also not getting on with one right now. Same negotiating team as Francis Ngannou. So I don't, maybe, Francis is probably not going to one. But I don't know what the UFC is going to do, but they played their hand so heavy 
on Saturday night that they made it abundantly clear that they're the weak ones here. They're the ones that they know that they are in the wrong here. This guy's asking for more money. Have you seen this guy's story? Show this a clip of this guy on ESPN. Why are you not promoting him? For years, Dana White has said to fighters, shut up and fight. Dana, shut up and promote. Do your job. If I was Endeavor, I would have fired Dana for this act. You're not promoting your fighter. You are failing in your job. Your one job is to promote, is to promote your fighters. Shut up and promote Dana. Fraser, what do you think? Yeah, exactly. No, completely. I, I don't think Dana has a lot of respect for the, the heavyweight division yet. We saw when Stipe Miocic uh, uh, either won the belt or, or defended another the belt example. against yeah. Nganu. He didn't want Dana to put the belt on him. He wanted his, his, his coach to put the belt on him. Whether that was more of a relationship between him and his coach, but it wasn't a hidden secret that Stipe Miocic didn't get on well with, with Dana White. And, you know, they, they did clash. As much as I don't want to bring it into it, Jake Paul is is probably doing more for fighter pay than yep. than Dana White. And you know, he, he mentioned that there's supposed to be some announcement from Jake Paul today with regards to his next steps in trying to help fighters get get fair pay. You've got, you know, with the greatest respect to Roy Nelson, you've got someone that looks like the heavyweight champion of the world should, you know. Yes, well, yes. He is six foot four. <laughs> 260 270 pounds chiseled ripped abs uh, the, the whole and like you say he's got the backstory people bought into conor mcgregor because he was on the social welfare and he, he made this and he you know he's, he's sort of self-made francis Ngannou's backstory is, is far if you could say superior but far far better than conor mcgregor's yes and yet you don't you don't promote him at all and he hasn't done anything outside of the ring you know mcgregor outside of the ring is in all intents and purposes an awful person that's and Ngannou outside of the ring what he's got multiple sponsorships you know we know that he's sponsored by jim shark we know that he's he's big into um he said something about this his, his entire purse going into i don't know if it was bitcoin but some sort of cryptocurrency like and it's crypto.com is the, the ufc's sponsor and france has got a lot to do with that and sadly, I don't think there's a lot in the heavyweight division. The, the next fight for Francis Ngannou has to be John Jones, and if it's not John Jones, he doesn't fight again in the in the heavyweight in the heavyweight division for, like you say, two or three years until it sorts itself out. He's just beaten the number one. You could call him the number one guy, but the, the interim champion Cyril Gan. No great interest in seeing a third Stephen Miocic fight until Miocic kind of proves that he's he's wrote those wrongs from. From their second fight because he was badly beaten in that second fight. There's an argument for maybe a Derek Lewis rematch, but the first fight was so bad, and Lewis, <laughs> yeah, down. and yeah, you know, and Lewis has lost the guy, and he's two and zero against Curtis Blades, and Alexander Volkov, you know, he's got his hands full with our boy Tom Aspinall in uh, in in March. Mm-hmm. Beat Jarzinho Rosenstruck. Chris Dalkas is coming off a loss. You're not fighting the eighth, ninth. 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th guy, you know. So outside of John Jones, there's no fights for Francis Ngannou in the UFC as it stands. We've obviously just got the announcement that uh, Jiri Prohachka and Glover are going to be fighting in... Mm -hmm. I can't remember when that was, but that was announced for for the first quarter of this year. None of those guys are going up to heavyweight. They're not... Glover's not really big enough, in my opinion, and Jiri's... You know, he hasn't even won the belt yet. 
True. There's no one at, at light heavyweight. Yeah, you know, light heavyweight is thin as well. And there's no one at light heavyweight that could could make the sort of jump across or jump up, I should say, to to heavyweight and and challenge Francis Ngannou and it'd be a big fight. You know, you you've always had the the middleweight going up to the to the light heavyweight, the welterweight maybe going up to the middleweight, the lightweight going up to the, these are all big fights. You know, Charles Oliveira versus Kamara Usman, huge fight. If Kamara mm-hmm. Usman puts his friendship aside, him against Israel Adesanya, huge fight. You mm-hmm. know, Al Sterling is what he is, but you know, you've got the potential of like a Henry Cejudo coming back and fighting at either flyweight, bantamweight, or or featherweight. These are big fights. Francis Ngannou versus Curtis Blades three when Curtis Blades is 0-2 against him, suffering two TKOs doesn't sell. That's a for me. That's a co-main event. That's it's not a that's not a main event. And, and like, like you say, they they didn't promote Ngannou this week like they should have. You know they they didn't really tap into the the backstory again. You know you, you republish your article on on Francis Ngannou's backstory. It's a phenomenal backstory. It's like nothing we have ever seen in combat sports, and it's probably going to be like nothing we ever see in combat sports. Now, if you look at when Tyson Fury fought Deontay Wilder and he came back from depression and you know ballooning up and putting on all that weight. How well that was, you know, you had documentaries specifically looking at Fury from the Klitschko fight to the sort of demise of Fury and the rise of Fury. Bob Arum and top rank, that is how you promote your fighter. He's gone from everything to nothing, back to everything. How many times have we seen the picture of, let's be honest, fat Tyson Fury next to Rip Tyson Fury? How many times has Tyson Fury been on Joe? You know, he's been on Joe Rogan's podcast. He's 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 dropped in on the Top Run podcast. He's on Talksport. Bob Arum's on Talksport, talking him up. He's mm-hmm. on he's on Twitter, sort of almost talking himself up and on Instagram, talking himself up and saying, "Look, I can do it. You can do it." He's giving live appearances and whatnot. Francis Ngannou. He's been on Joe Rogan's podcast, and that's when we sort of found really found out about his backstory. Mm-hmm. But why aren't the UFC tapping into that more? And like you say. Dana is shut up and promote, you know, you're promoting, you know, I think this card overall was promoted horrendously. I'm sure if you look at the, the numbers, obviously the pay-per-view numbers of uh, the pay-per-view, the cost of a pay-per-view, it's it's gone up in in the U S from, I think it was what 50 to maybe 70 or 80. I'm not, not hundred percent sure, but you know, I'm sure if you look at the numbers on embedded, I, I think they'll probably be pretty poor this week. I don't know about pay-per-view because outside, you know, the casual fan will probably sign up to watch Francis Ngannou, but outside of the main and co-main, I think we lost the best fight on the card, the Leah Tapora versus Charles Jourdain fight. Even that was a late notice fight. So these, at the end of the day, you know, the first first pay-per-view in however many weeks, you know, best part of a month for the UFC first pay-per-view of the year the first pay-per-view of last year was Conor McGregor versus Dustin Poirier from what I remember that had a hard sell on it exactly yeah and that should be being you've got you've pretty much got all of the Christmas period all of the festive period to to put all your resources into promoting this fight and it it wasn't promoted in my opinion in in the correct way and 
you know, maybe that is because the card overall was quite quite weak. We had some good performances elsewhere, but yeah, maybe. But it, it doesn't matter. It, the, no, the main exactly. event sells it, carries it's, it's it, right? UFC two seventy and Garner versus Garn. It's not UFC two seventy and Garner versus Garn, but we've got eight debutants. We've got people from the contenders. It, it's it's that's the headline. You know, it's it's uh, is it like, like you know? I I completely agree with you. I just don't think it was promoted in the correct way and. Which is surprising because you've got, you know, the the baddest man on the planet in 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 a in a in a in a boxing match in a boxing ring. Sorry, um, Ngannou doesn't beat any of the top fifteen boxers. No. You know, Tyson Fury is there because he knows it's an easy payday. But I don't. And yes, Francis Ngannou will make more money than he's ever made before. But I don't think he he doesn't transfer over to the to the boxing boxing world. You know, the way that they promote is completely different to the UFC and I don't think that he it for me it just it, it wouldn't work he wouldn't do do well in boxing and I don't think that the pay-per-view numbers would do particularly well McGregor versus Mayweather was completely different to a potential in Garner versus Fury and you know Fury's tied up Fury's not fighting in Garner in the next year year and a half there's there's not enough money in it for Fury and Fury's got at the end of this week, you know, he's got his mandatories to sort out. Um, so it's you know, it's fun to talk about, but there's no there's no chance it's gonna it's gonna ever actually happen. Yeah, I completely agree with you on everything, and especially that Tyson Fury story. I can recite that Tyson Fury story, and it's a fascinating story, and I love telling it to other people who don't know about this guy. This happened when he was on top of the world as well. This guy had accomplished his dream. And then he tried to commit suicide. That is a story. And now he's recovered from it. Even Francis Ngannou, he had to hire a sports psychologist after his two losses. He had to pick himself up after nearly accomplishing all of his dreams. Tell me that story. Tell me what's going on there. He changed camps because he felt betrayed by his trainers. Tell me that story. What's going on here? The UFC has really struggled to promote fighters. This fight really did show that, that if you're not Conor McGregor, the UFC's not going to really promote you. And we've seen this in the past. I don't want people to think that I'm I'm just using this as like the example. Remember with... um. BT Sports a few years ago, they did a feature on Leon Edwards. That was the most we've ever learned about this guy. And he's a really interesting guy. UC never did that. What about when BT Sports did that um, sit down with Jorge Masvidal and Darren Till? That still has more highlights than anything the UFC has done. BT Sports was taking out advertisements to promote Darren Till when the UFC was not bothering to do that. BT has arguably done better features. I'm looking at the UFC Fight Pass thing right now because they have some fighter features. Uh, Sure. Yeah. Rose, you did a feature on uh, Daniel Cormier naturally you did a feature on yeah Jorge Masvidal cool these these yeah neat Matt Sarah you did a feature on before you did Francis Ngannou oh Sean O'Malley you did a feature on before you did Francis Ngannou you didn't promote this guy you are utterly failing if this sold poorly it is on the UFC like I think we've promoted I tell like every time I see my wife on a Francis Ngannou fight week I'm like hey so when he was working the sandline you know <laughs> 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 trying to get a word in because I want to talk about this story so much but yeah the UFC it's John Jones has asked for more money. Francis Ngannou has has asked for more money. That's forget it. This fight's done. Forget it. I think I don't know if he he's not going to. Francis Ngannou can't beat any boxers. Like you don't think boxers have seen a hard hitting brawler type? These guys have been fighting for years. That they've seen the type before. Maybe a you know what would sell kind of well and it suck. And what about an exhibition against Mike Tyson? Exactly, it sells. Yeah. But that's then we're going down the celebrity boxing route of it's just because you know these two Mike Tyson 
20 years ago was a heavy hitter and, and Francis Ngannou is a heavy hitter today. You know, at the end of the day, I 25, think, 25 years ago, he yeah, was going to survive. Exactly. And, you know, like you say, why you haven't got Francis Ngannou's story going along the bar on ESPN and him being on every chat show in, in America and yep. even just, just to tell his story again and again and again and again, you know, and you know he'd probably be sick of it himself, but you, there's no yes. other story of going from working sand mines to being homeless to taking up potentially taking up boxing to then taking up MMA to getting a title shot to getting badly dominated in that title shot yeah. to then being gun shy to then seeing a psychologist and coming back and facing all your demons and beating the guy who sort of almost gave you those demons in Steve Miocci, not only beating him showing clear improvements in your game and knocking him out cold. You can play a Francis Ngannou highlight reel. You know, we we often do on the on the uh, on MMASucker.com, you know, we often do Francis Ngannou top five knockouts. Derek yeah. You can pick from Francis Ngannou's top five knockouts. It's it's tough to pick. The Alistair Overeem one, massive knockout. Oh. The Biggie Boy one, massive knockout. Miocic, massive knockout. Cain Velasquez, the way that Cain Velasquez fell with his legs, all, massive knockout. You know, uh, the anti-Hamilton Kimura, standing Kimura where he just ripped him to the floor, massive knockout. Luis and uh, Henrique, massive knockout. This guy is so easily promotable and the UFC aren't doing it. And yet they're putting a lot of stock into guys that maybe don't deserve the push or can push themselves easier that, you know, the Sean O'Malley's, he isn't proven to have actually fought anyone decent. He can promote himself. And yet this UFC are putting all the resources into him. Francis Ngannou can promote himself, but the UFC are putting no resources into him at all. And it's, you know, it's like, like, you know, we're going to talk about the co-main event now, but yeah, we, yeah. outside of, Outside of the, the the hardcore fans, did anyone really know that this fight was going ahead? Because I didn't see, you know, other than seeing a Lego belt, which is absolutely quality. But outside of that, I didn't see any promotion for this fight. Even after the first fight was one of the fights of the year last year. The second fight, you know, Moreno surprised everybody and handed Figueredo just his second loss in... in mm-hmm in professional martial arts and in the UFC, you know, he rallied from behind the first um, Mexican like flyweight champion, you know, the, the only champion at the time for Mexico, it's sort of this career revival for Mexican fighters with Irene Aldana mm-hmm. and, and, and Brandon, Brandon Moreno. And yet outside of the, the hardcore fans, you wouldn't really know, you know, how well was the press conference overall promoted? I saw one post on the UFC's official Instagram and then the face-offs. I saw a press conference tomorrow at whatever time and then I saw the face-offs. That's it. That's all I saw yesterday, uh, last week for the press conference. Because the McGregor press conference, you get teased that it might be. Then you get an official announcement. Then you get a countdown. Then you get snippets from the press conference and then you get the face-offs. And then for the rest That's of the true. week, you're using those face-offs. It's the same with the Masvidal and Nate Diaz. Yes, these guys are better talkers than Nganu, Gan, Moreno, Figueredo. But that doesn't mean that they shouldn't get the push. Surely the guys that are slightly poor at the sort of trash talk 
hype promoting the fight should get more promotion because they don't need the self-promotion as it were because these guys may struggle ever so slightly you know this is a company you're a business these are your employees you should be helping your employees to to earn as much as they can especially when they're not on sort of like a wage and you're not doing that so what why not you know you can't put all your resources into the guys that sell best because that's you know, once these guys retire, let's say we never see Nate Diaz, Jorge Masvidal, and Conor McGregor fight again, who's the next star? You know, you're putting money into Sean O'Malley, but if he gets knocked out cold in his next fight and gets knocked out in the fight after that, that's your star gone. You've got to build up stars in every single division. Heavyweight division at the moment hasn't got that star outside of maybe John Jones, who isn't a heavyweight yet. We've never seen him. The light, light heavyweight division hasn't got that star. You know, you've got Israel Adesanya, and Kamara Usman. You're good, yeah. But does, does Kamara Usman's style transfer over into the mainstream? I'm not so sure. You know, we appreciate the fact that he's gone from slightly boring conservative wrestler to one of the best jabs in the game, big stand-up striker, has got the knockout power. But the, the casual fan, you know, doesn't maybe see that. Featherweight hasn't really got... That standout style, Volkanovski and Brian Ortega put on one of the fights of the year last year. You got Max Holloway and Yair Rodriguez putting on a phenomenal fight, but none of them are a star. You know, you haven't got these stars anymore. You haven't got a McGregor, Rousey, Brock Lesnar, Kane Velasquez, Fabrizio Verdun. You haven't got this anymore. A BJ mm-hmm. Penn, a GSP, and Anderson Silva. These guys mm-hmm. don't exist at the moment. So you have to put your resources into every single division. You know, you've got to spread your, your net quite wide. And maybe that does mean not giving McGregor all of you, you know, 90% of your resources and giving Garn 1%. Maybe that means giving, even if it's just, you know, sort of giving McGregor 70% of your resources. He'll promote himself. Everyone will tune in. Every casual will tune in for a McGregor fight because, because it's Conor McGregor. Arguably, everyone should be tuning in for an Ngannou fight because you're guaranteed a more entertaining fight, but it's not the case. I mean, McGregor sold a, he literally sold a pay-per-view press conference with Ariel Hawani like four years ago or something like that. And it sold. People bought it. McGregor can promote himself. Let him do his thing. You know what I mean? Go promote these other guys and make some stars. The UFC is in the best position it has been in history with ESPN and stuff like this. And it feels like we're getting away from, I guess that's guys like us. It's just media members patting each other on the back. But yeah, the flyweight division is also not doing itself any favors because I wouldn't know how to promote this division either. There's there's no major like stars or push. Brandon Moreno is a really charming, cool guy. Davison Figueredo is the god of war and he's earned that nickname based on how he fights. Uh, and then they have a trilogy and it's one, one, and one. It's more murky than it's ever been before. Now, to uh, Figueredo's and Moreno's credit, they they their combination makes exciting fights every time that they fight and we're gonna have to see it a fourth time and whether that might headline on espn that's a fun fight to put on a big espn deal or even an abc as they were trying to do uh earlier last year that's a great fight uh but yeah he uh figueredo showed some adjustments in this fight as well he was ducking off the center line to hook against the jab he was you know on the left and the right side he was trying to counter the jab uh moreno needed to show a lot of pressure and figueredo was able to push back by using his own pressure to really push moreno back and they created a good fight we had a lot of scrambles had a lot of really good exchanges moreno probably was out striking him but figueredo was winning 
rounds with more power because he scored more knockdowns. It's a controversial fight to score. They're one, one, and one in their trilogy. There's kind of not a lot of other people that the UFC wants to bother with at flyweight. So we're going to see it a fourth time. What do you think of the fight? What's the future hold for these guys? Yeah, like like you said, I think Figueredo really showed improvements because he he had to. He was well dominated in that in that second fight. The first fight, you know, really close as we saw obviously with the draw. The second fight. Moreno constantly pumping the jab out, pumping the jab out, pumping the jab out. And that was why he, he, he was keep. that's how he sort of prevented Figueiredo from being able to set and land that power shot that we know that he's got. And we saw in, in this fight because the jab was constantly in his face. If you're constantly pouring at a jab or constantly, you know, having to move your head, you can't set yourself to land that big, big overhand. And, and that's what we saw in the second fight. In this fight, we didn't see Moreno throw nearly as many jabs. And, you know, I don't think Moreno really respected the power of Figueredo coming into this one, which, you know, to his detriment at the end of round three, he was almost finished. You know, he, it was that, um, it was right at the end of the round when Figueredo landed and then got the guillotine. And luckily for Moreno, there wasn't, wasn't any time left in the round. But, you know, we saw a lot of different looks from Figueredo as well. He landed, or he attempted 11 takedowns. Yes, he was only successful on two, but you know you're threatening Moreno with those takedowns. You the the leg kick as well. I think really affected the jab of Moreno. With the jab, you obviously put all, all your all your weight on your on your lead on your lead leg, which is why Nate Diaz is so susceptible to the to the you know the lead leg kick is because he stands so heavy with that boxing style on that lead leg, pumping out the jab. Mm-hmm. If you if Moreno can't put any weight on that leg, he's not going to be able to pump the jab so often, or it's going to be very very out of range when he's trying to because he can't step into range to land the jab I going into the final round I had it 2-2 and you know Moreno uh, Figueredo sorry won the, won the final round obviously with the knockdown as well like you say outside of a fourth fight you've got Kaikara France and Askar Askarov fighting I think next month not next month, I think maybe in March or February or March anyway. Outside of that, you've got nobody in the division. Let's let's be honest, you know, Kaikara France isn't even ranked in the top five. Brandon Royval's in the top five. Alex Perez, Alejandro Pantoja. Pantoja's not, not bad. And I think he, he had a draw with Moreno, but none of these guys are needle movers, but some exactly. of them are fairly deserving. Askarov would be deserving if he won. Yeah, for sure. And, but Askarov didn't sell. You know, he's 14 oh God, and no. well, he's, four, he's he's undefeated at 14 and 0, but he doesn't sell. You know, Pantoja, two fight win streak he... at the moment, but doesn't, you know, outside of me, you, and the rest of the media, who, who who's heard of Alejandro Pantoja? He's, he's not, he's not a ticket seller. There's, there's nobody. Kaikara France can be a ticket seller. I think he speaks well. He's got the, the exciting style. He's got the, Knockouts of Bonterin and uh, Cody Garbrandt to, to add to his highlight reel, but he's, he's you know, I think he's, he's a better, he's the best ticket seller in the flyweight division outside of the champion and Brandon Moreno. But I think you know Moreno's got to be pretty frustrated that he's lost this one because I think, yeah, you know, at the end of the day, a, a win for Moreno would have. Called, called an end to that that rivalry you know yes. one draw two wins for Moreno no wins for Figueredo Figueredo goes back to being a contender whereas like you say the, the division 
from now it's, it's never been so murky I don't I don't really like the way that Moreno uh, sorry that Figueroa's handled himself this this week I think it's petty to be honest he doesn't you know yeah. you can't be lifting Moreno up after your second fight and then going straight back to oh I hate this guy and flipping him off at the weigh-ins and then calling him a crybaby after uh yeah you know, after the fight this that's coming from from his promoter or lead but if you would have dominated this fight 50 45 then you can maybe brag about it but it was it was a close fight you were clearly hurt by Brandon Moreno who's historically not a striker you were you were rocked by a Brandon Moreno jab in this fight, so he hasn't really got a leg to stand on. You know, and he called for the fight against Moreno in Mexico. The fourth fight needs to happen because they're essentially one and one. You know that for that yes. first fight's a draw, and you can essentially scratch that off the off the the record of both men because it doesn't do anything for either man. You know, Moreno took it on fairly short notice. Figueroa, you know. Well, to be fair, both men took it on fairly short notice, but that, that fight hasn't done anything for either man's stock or either man's record. Like I say, you know, it's, it's a draw. It's this one and one. Mm-hmm. The fourth fight needs to happen. Does it happen next? I doubt it because it's a, it's a really quite hard sell for a fourth fight between the it same is. two guys. When and it's not like you know, this is I, I read that this is the first UFC trilogy to ever happen. Where both men have not fought anyone else before fighting. Right? Yeah, so and I thought that oh, can't be right because Daniel Cormier, but if you remember Daniel Cormier had that fight with Derek Lewis before yep. he fought Stipe Mercic for a second time and a, and a third time. For these guys to fight each other four times essentially in a row, you know, these guys now spent well upward of an hour in the in the in the octagon together. <laughs> It for me it doesn't sell, and this is all about you know this de- flyweights are doomed to always be a co-main event or a third title fight on a card yes. because they don't sell. These two guys do sell, but the fourth fight doesn't sell. Each guy needs to I think go away. Moreno needs to fight someone else. Figueroa needs to fight the winner of Askar Askarov and Kai Kara France, and then maybe they meet back up for a for a fourth fight. But as far as doing the fourth fight next for me that doesn't do good numbers because it's not it's just not interesting to be honest i know well especially because I, I would think if whoever wins the the quadrilogy at this point probably loses to askar askarov anyway like I, they're just keeping the belt i don't know it's just it's fine it's a really exciting fight but putting the belt there actually makes it somehow worse somehow makes it uninteresting whereas um like we've seen quadrilogies and uh five fights with um with marquez and pacquiao but they were decades apart these are like 10 years 15 years apart because they kept meeting each other because they kept clearing out divisions and they couldn't yeah, come to exactly. terms with like they couldn't get mayweather in there stuff like this so they had to keep fighting each other whereas this fight you're like man if you guys took a break for a year you know go ahead <laughs> i don't know it's fine you'll find each other let's move on a couple of performance of the night bonuses saeed Nurmagomedov, incredible just the slickest stuff he's not related to the other guy he's not he doesn't even train at the same gym but Saeed Nurmagomedov, incredibly slick in this in this submission. Also, Vanessa Demopoulos, performance in the night bonus. What else did you see on UFC 270 that you want to call out? Yeah, Vanessa Demopoulos goes from getting knocked out cold to to snatching a snatching an armbar, which is you know brilliant. And I think she's going to be quite a big star just the way she speaks. Oh my God, Joe Rogan jumps in Joe Rogan's arms, does the splits yeah. at the weigh-ins, does the splits after she wins. She's got the stories about her 
being a stripper, but then quitting a month or two months out to this this fight. Stripping probably paid better as well. <laughs> Legitimately, you know, I think she was paid 20 and 20 for this fight. Or not even 20 and 20, probably, you know, 15 and 15, maybe 20 and 20. Yeah. With the performance of the night bonus, obviously she gets a 50K. But, you know, she's a fun fighter. She's never going to be a champion. She's never going to be a top contender because her stand-up is awful. You know, we, we saw it. She winging big overhands and then being caught by big winging overhands is not... <laughs> it's not really a a, a strategy to, for you to be anywhere near the top of the division, in my opinion. But I think one guy that was maybe unlucky not to get a uh, performance of night bonus was Jack Della Mandela. You know, his mm-hmm. jab was phenomenal. He bust up the face of Pete Rodriguez within the first minute or two. And then the finish where it's just sort of, He's constantly backing out, constantly backing out, you know, slipping the shot, slipping the shot. And then when the shot comes in and Rodriguez commits to it because he thinks that Mandalay is gonna gonna slip it, he actually just steps in, lands a big, big finish. And why what, what I liked about it as well is he 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 landed the counter, knocked Rodriguez down, mm-hmm. went to go and finish. And he realistically the referee should have stepped in and not and prevented Rodriguez from, from any more shots. But, you know, three shots on the ground was all Jack Della Mandalaya needed. Uh, I think he's going to be a, he's, he's going to be a problem in, in, the, in uh, I think, it, yeah, at Welterweight. You know, he's well, been on the yeah. contender series by decision. He's obviously finished this one. And I wouldn't be surprised, you know, he's Australian. If he gets a, a, sh- a shout to go on the Whitaker Adesanya undercard, you know, if he stays in America... It's you know he's got that Australian pull, and if not, you know I think he I, I expect to see him fight four three or four times. You know he's got he's got it almost his his first one out of the way as it were now in January, and uh, yeah, don't be surprised to to see him see him back in there fairly fairly soon. In my opinion, I think he's going to be you know, he's got the chance to be a really big star, and he, you know he's still only young, he's still only uh, twenty twenty six, so he's a uh, it's going to be a difficult one at welterweight to, to get past. We don't know what his ground game's like yet, but he's he, he's he showed solid solid striking in uh, on Saturday night. Well, especially at welterweight, we can see. Hopefully, we get some new developing talent in there, and so hopefully, we get a good prospect because the division needs it. The division needs some new blood. People are talking about Colby Covington versus Jorge Masvidal. Who cares, man? I don't care. <laughs> I just can't care. Okay, so this weekend we have some pretty good fights. If you combine the fight cards this weekend into one fight card, it would be a pretty good fight card, but they separated them into two. We have Eagle FC and Bellator. Both are pretty good. Uh, Bellator, uh, we have Ryan Bader versus Valentin Moldovsky. Benson Anderson is fighting Islam Mamadov. Oh, that's a bad fight for Benson. Uh, and then Eagle FC, you have Tyrone Spawn versus Sergei Heritonov. Rashad Evans is fighting Gabriel Sheko. And then Ray Borg is fighting Cody Gibson. I'll, I'll give a quick shout out to a couple of these. Um, yeah, Islam Mamadov wins that fight. Islam Mamadov is quite good. Benson Anderson is older. He's on like a three-fight losing streak. Tyrone Spong coming back after the leg break from 2016. This is his first fight back. Sergei Heratonov, he's been 40 years old since we watched him in Pride when he was fighting in 2005. How I thought he was an old man then. He's still old and hasn't gotten much worse or much better. Love Sergei. <laughs> Rashad Evans, 
Oh, he's going to get beat up a bunch. Ray Borg, uh, Cody Gibson's going to beat him. Cody Gibson's younger, faster. Cody Gibson's coming off a big win against John Dodson at XMMA uh, earlier last year. That's a good fight for Cody Gibson right there. I'm not entirely sure about Ryan Bader versus Valentin Moldovsky, but I know you got some thoughts on it. Fraser, what do you think of this weekend's cards? Yeah, like you say, if you combine the two, I think it's a really good card outside of combining the two. Bellator card, you know, it's got some some names on it. If you if you just look at it, sort of, you know, you got Ryan Bader on there, you got Benson Henderson, Henry Corrales, yep. that yep. um Saba Hamasi who's you know hard hitting and you know Darren Caldwell returns at uh you know Oh yeah, again. I interviewed that's right, I interviewed Darian. This should be up this week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he you know, Darren Caldwell out after he won the belt, you know, he's 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 two and four in his last six fights, two losses to Horikuchi. It's no disrespect there. Lost to AJ McKee, no disrespect there. And then Leandro Hijo, no disrespect there. He did beat Adam Boric, which is a brilliant win. And he's fighting, you know, UFC alumni um, Enrique Barzola, who, again, you know, he went on a, he's got a win over Gabriel Benitez, win over uh, Brandon Davis, win over Bobby Moffat. You know, last time out, he drew against Rani Aya. And he lost pretty against Mozvar Evelev, yeah, who everybody has lost against Mozvar Evelev. That's his form thus far. So I think that's going to be a great fight. And like you say, on Eagle FC, it's getting a lot more promotion now than it has previously. But you still got, you know, there's there's names that people recognise yes. scattered throughout. You know, you got Lloyd Raz, uh, Raz, Zavahabov. I don't know. I've probably butchered that, but you know, PFL alumni. You've got Jorgen De Castro, who yep. is a heavy hitter. You know, he's went one and three in the UFC, has won one since since then. You've got you know undefeated fighters on there. You know, nine and zero facing a guy that's twenty nine, seventeen and one. John John Howard twenty nine, seventeen and one. You know these. Mm-hmm. These are these are good fights, and at the end of the day, you know you've got to, you know we have had fights fall off. We were talking um, before we started recording. Renan Barrow was meant to be on this card. I'd oh, say, good. Fortunately, it's been cancelled that fight because I don't think mm-hmm. we need to see Renan Barrow fight again. He hasn't won since twenty sixteen. Bigfoot Silva was on this card. Thankfully, Silver, yeah, on this card again. I'm not really sure what the thought was behind putting these guys between Brennan uh, Barrow and Bigfoot Silver. They haven't won a fight. Bigfoot Silver's last fight was when Ronda Rousey defeated Betch Cahaya. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the last time he won two in a row, he beat Travis Brown and then he beat Alistair Overeem on the Aldo versus Edgar one card in 20. 20- he hasn't won back to back fights since 2013. He wasn't winning that Alistair Overeem fight going into no, the third exactly. round. He was getting beat up. I don't want to see Bigfoot ever fight again. You know, he's 42 now and he's been knocked out in his last, what, one, two, three, four, four. Well, he's been knocked out in his past four fights and he's been knocked out seven times his past eight fights. Why they even booked uh... him against Tyron Sprong, I'm not really sure. But yeah, like you say... We'll have the uh, results for for Bellator. We'll have the results for Eagle FC. I think we'll have obviously one championship results. You were saying off air that one championship it, it was a good card. 
but the amount of injuries has just kind of kind of butchered the card. But you know, it is what it is, and we'll we'll have um, you know plenty more up on the site. Like I say, I've got a uh, a piece going up on the site about the main talking points from from UFC two seventy. Um, link it down below. I think you've got a, a piece coming out either this week or next week on sort of the, the life and times, as it were, of, of Shogun Hua, which I've I've read through and it's that's definitely one to look out for because that's a, it's just a really good piece. So uh, yeah, and there's you know there's plenty up on the site now from from the weekend, and there's going to be plenty up on the site from from various writers, not just me and Tim. So yeah, check that out on MMATucker.com. Absolutely. I'll, I'll try to link as much as I can down below for the website. Uh, yeah, the Shogun piece is finally out. It's taken a couple of months to finish uh, and we've made some really good contacts. We made worked with some really cool people. Fraser, thank you so much for working on it. You've commented on it. You were instrumental in getting this up and running. So a massive thank you to you. Uh, but yeah, it's finally done. And it's going to be great because when I put it out, it's going to be like, this is my magnum opus. My career is leading to this. I'm going to get like 100 views or something like that. <laughs> this is the thing. I worked so hard on this and no one cares. Anyway, so so yeah, we'll be back next week to cover off. I think there's UFC upcoming at that point. We'll talk about what's going on this weekend and some other stuff going on. But links will be down below. Check me out, Tim Wheaton at MMA uh, and on Instagram and Twitter with the MMA Sucker Crew. Fraser, where can they find more of you? Yeah, so Fraser Cohen writes on Instagram, much more active on there. And MMA underscore suck on Instagram. Me and Tim have sort of uh, taken the reins on that and we're a lot more active on that. And, you know, you can you can see, you know, we're, we're definitely trying to post a lot more of what's going up on the site, on the Instagram page. We're linking, we're linking in the bio, we're linking on the story. So definitely check out MMA underscore suck on Instagram because that's where, you know, 90% of the articles that go up on the website will be promoted. So if you can't catch them on the website, give us a follow on Instagram and uh, we'll you know we'll post pretty much every article on there with links and whatnot that you'll be able to check out and uh you know it's, rather than having to go through the website you just go straight mm-hmm. through through the instagram click on the link and you, you you're sorted so uh yeah be sure to check out mma underscore on instagram awesome stuff thanks so much folks thanks See so much for your time week. fraser